Welcome to the Barrel Horse Life Podcast, where we're going to talk all things horses, barrel racing, and life. This podcast features conversations from world champions, hustlers, and those who make the horse industry a better place. I am your host, Amy Davenport, and I'm so glad you came along for the ride. Let's get started. Doing everything possible to keep my horses sound and moving naturally without pain has been my key to success. And let me tell you about my little secret. Draw It Out is an all natural topical liniment that removes inflammation, heat, and soreness. It keeps my horses competing at the top of their game. It's 100% safe, completely natural, and really easy to use. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation free, so it goes on gently with no heating, cooling, or tingling. You guys, that means no burns and no blisters. Go on over to LonePrairiePHS.com, that's LonePrairiePHS.com, and make sure you enter code Amy10 in the notes for your awesome discount. I can't wait for you to get your very own draw it out, because your horses are going to love you for it. In this episode of the Barrel Horse Life Podcast, mental coach Ty Hillman and I put on our helmets to dive deep into the rabbit hole of getting mentally tough. If you tend to get anxious or have any kind of nervousness in or out of the arena, you may want to listen to this episode a few times. He's got experience, tons of knowledge, and I'm super proud to call him my mental coach. So turn up the volume, get settled in, because it's about to get real. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, so today I have with me Ty Hillman on the show. Ty, why don't you tell people what you're doing today? Today I am in Decatur, Texas at Outlaw Equine. Um, we actually brought Truck up here, Quattro Fame, Stevie's main horse. And um, he's just getting a routine checkup before we start kind of, I mean, he's he's been staying in shape. But when we got back over the summer, he got just a little bit of time off through October and, you know, not completely off, but but kind of off so he could have some type of a break but we're really going to kind of start doubling down and, and getting ready for the finals and so just a routine checkup so we're at Ally Equine today. Oh yeah they have an, that's an awesome vet clinic. I know if it was not a 20 hour haul for me all the way down there to that vet clinic I would probably be in line next. You guys are really blessed because up there in your area around Stephenville you have a ton of really really good equine vets. We're really spoiled here, you know, in our area. We live in Weatherford, Texas, and there's a lot of great vets. But Josh Harvey, there's a lot of good vets at Outlaw Equine as well. Um, but Josh Harvey is, has taken care of Trot since we've um, had him for the most part. And uh, just he's, he has done a fantastic job. I want to go into how you got started with mental coaching. Um, I happened to stumble upon you um, when you and Stevie were on RFD TV. Uh, I think it was Western Sports Roundup. And she was talking about uh, prepping for the American. Maybe she had just won the American. I'm not really for sure on that. But anyways, you were talking about mental coaching, uh, uh, mental toughness, the mental game, how you um, how you got started into it and how it has changed your career and Stevie's as well. Um, I know 
in the beginning, I had originally contacted you because I wanted to be prepared for BBR World Finals in Oklahoma City that was coming up in April. Um, got rescheduled till August, so I had plenty of time to get my mind ready. Um, the year before, when I went to World Finals, it just swallowed me up. It got to me. I didn't perform well. So I wanted to be there for my horse. And I know that for me, barrel racing is probably 20% physical and more about 80% mental for me. So I was working on the physical part, but I never even thought about working on the mental part. Um, so that has helped me tremendously. And what I like about working with you is you don't say, okay, you're going to need 10 sessions with me. It's going to be X amount of dollars. You're just, you're pretty transparent about it. Like we work at your pace, however you need me, whenever you need me, I'm here for you. And that's what a coach does. And you have been my mental coach and I have had great success. So why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners how you got started into mental coaching? So um, I grew up in Northeast Colorado and I, I was obsessed with three things, hunting, fishing, and team roping. And so I, um, and part of team roping, I, I, when I was in high school, I just, I can remember I had a real clear time where I, I could see that the way that I practiced and then the way that I performed on the money up, there was a disconnect there. I could be the world champion in my own arena, you know, and, and, um, and then when I went somewhere else, I, I would choke or I was extremely uptight and tense and just trying not to lose, you know. And so anyway, I could just see that there was a clear difference between the way I practiced and the way that I competed. And so in, in, in trying to figure out what was going on, you know, I was aware of sports psychology but didn't really know a lot about it. And I read my very first sports psychology book called The Inner Game of Tennis, and it's kind of a classic. And mm-hmm. um I was fascinated with it. I was probably 17, I think, 16 or 17. And that just started this process of me, you know, learning about performance and and the psychology behind it. And I I just read tons of books. One, I was fascinated with it. And two, I saw the difference that it made. And um, that was something that that never stopped, even though I went to college and, and then kind of stopped competing and got more interested in business and everything. And now we've come full circle where... Now, you know, Stevie, my wife, competes for a living, so we still live it, um, and and my fascination has stayed there, but it just kind of came to a point where I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had had some, some cool jobs in the past, and um, I wanted to start my own business, and I've always had a heart for helping people. There's nothing more than I love than just feeling like something I've been able to help offer somebody or a perspective or just even giving time to somebody and, and uh, the satisfaction um, of knowing that, that they either feel better about themselves or have something that they're now excited to practice or work on has just really been something I've been most interested in. And so it came to a, a head in late 2015, um, the place I was working at that time, the National Cutting Horse Association, I had uh, let the executive director know that I'd be leaving sometime in the next three or four months and def- definitely didn't want to leave them in a bind, but I was going to pursue this. And ironically, at the same time, Stevie sent a lot of her outside horses home and um, we started rodeoing full time and I started coaching, which, <laughs> you know, it, we were led to do it. We both felt called to do what we were doing because like, that is financial suicide <laughs> to quit <laughs> both of your jobs and to basically start two businesses at the same time. But we just felt led to do it, and 
it's cool how, you know, God really showed up and, and things have worked out. Oh, I love that. I love that you call it your calling. Um, why don't you describe a little more into detail what that means? I felt like I got a really nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside my soul as soon as you said that. So, so what does that mean to you? Well, I feel that everybody has a purpose. Um, I feel that we're all created and put on this earth for a purpose. And we, what I want to know, um, what I wanted to know for myself, and then what I want for other people to know is what, what is that purpose and calling? I feel that we all are, you know, are put on this earth to, to um, God has a reason for us, and we all are to, to be a light um, to people to reflect his glory um, to point people to him, to live out um, what, what our relationship is with him and to, to use that as the example of, of loving people. And so I feel that that's the same for all of us, but we all have different skills. We all have different natural gifts or spiritual gifts. We, we all have different things that interest us. And so I feel that when you can find the thing that um, really makes you come alive and gives you energy – and then somehow relate that to giving back or helping people or contributing somehow, I feel that that's the person's calling. Wow. That's, that's just beautiful. Um, I hope that in everyone's life, they can find some sort of calling, something that they're passionate about. Um, I know that I have found my calling in life. It's taken me a long time to find it, but once I found it, it just, it comes naturally. That's awesome. So, okay, well, let's go into uh, what is mental toughness and how do you help someone achieve that? So that's a, that's a cool question. You know, it's so interesting how, um, how interested people are in, in mental toughness. I've noticed when, you know, on, on something like somebody's social media platform, when they're asking what questions people would like them to answer or certain uh, articles, um, in magazines or digital um, publications, and then my work at, at NCHA and USTRC, I just had a chance to see some of what people are interested in. And mental toughness, mental skills, the mental game, you know, whatever you want to call it, that's something that people are, it seems like everybody's interested in. And it's, um, I think maybe because people know how important it is, and it's also a little bit mysterious. You know, if we... So, so I rope. If you want to know how to get better roping, you rope the dummy, you um, rope cattle, you ride your horse, keep them in shape. There's there's specific things that you can do to train those physical skills. If you want to learn to play golf, you go to the, the um, putting green and you go to the driving range and then you, you, know, you just learn and you get lessons. And we all understand how to get better at a physical skill, but mental skills, it, it, it's like they're just a little bit mysterious. We know they're important. We may even know what some of them are if you've read a lot of books, but there's not a lot of training in, or, or information in how do you actually train those things. So mental toughness, I've heard a lot of different definitions, but um, the one that I like the most is being able to think and feel what you know you should, even when you don't feel like it. Oh, yeah. so, so being able to think and feel what you know you need to, even when you don't feel like it. So if we, if we, take that definition and apply it that's like somebody who is really nervous and has performance anxiety before they compete they feel like thrown up in the trash can they're afraid of what could go wrong they don't want to let anybody down they're doubting themselves that's how they feel however they know 
that they need to be in a more confident state or a more calm state or a more trusting, confident state for them to go out and to have the best opportunity to do well and to perform using, you know, everything that they've done to, to prepare. But they don't feel like it. So how can we feel like being nervous? How do we feel like being afraid or having self-doubt yet to be confident, yet still be calm? And so to me, that's what mental toughness is like. It's, it's just being able to feel what comes naturally because we're all human beings and we all have this fight or flight response that's very predictable when we perceive stress. And it's being able to choose a different response rather than just what comes naturally, which is being afraid and, and everything else. So that's how I look at mental toughness. And, again, it's all trainable. Nobody's born this way. These are skills that you can uh, practice. Repetition is the mother of all skill, and that includes mental skills. You just have to know what the skills are, and we have to know how to train them. Oh, hell yeah. The training portion of that takes a long time. It's something that I strive to get constantly, but I know it's one of those things that's probably going to take a lifetime to really master. And why why not start now? I can't tell you how many times I've been in the warm-up pen, the holding pen, whatever, in the arena at a race, and my friends will come over to me and they'll say, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I feel like I could puke. <laughs> Where's the trash can? Um, I don't remember my name. I don't know my draw number. They're just completely lost. They get swallowed up in the whole, just all all the the anxiousness of, of running. And that doesn't help your horse either. Um, so when someone gets that way, what would you suggest or how would you work with them to help them overcome that? First of all, we have to have an understanding of, of what's going on. It's a very predictable response when the body perceives, or I'm sorry, when the mind perceives, let's just call it stress. Because we focus on what's going on in the arena, you know, before we perform. And, and so, in, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly who all your listeners are, but I bet it's something to do with barrel racing, and that's a huge part of my world as well. So um, we all think about in, in the arena, but really it's anytime the body per, um, or I'm sorry, I keep saying the body, the mind, they're certainly intertwined, but anytime the, the body, golly, I did it again, the mind perceives stress, um, then, then we we hit our our body kicks into this very predictable response, and that is to prepare ourselves to take some action, basically to run, to to fight, to freeze, to submit, what, whatever it is. That's what comes natural. Everybody comes with that. If we want to respond differently, we have to hijack the natural response. We have to train a different response. And so again, it's it's coming back to understanding where we start off is understanding what is going on. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with somebody who's nervous or has performance anxiety. That's what comes natural. It's how do we choose to respond? Our response is our choice. So, you know, a lot of times people will confuse knowledge with um, transformation. Knowledge doesn't transform us. It is how we apply and the action we take with the knowledge that we learn that makes the difference. So once we learn what's going on, now we can start actually training the skills of calming ourselves down, of directing our focus, of managing our state, of getting into our ideal performance state, of, of becoming confident and choosing the thoughts that help us to feel confident. 
those are the things that we can train to help ourselves. Then when we get into those situations where our brain is perceiving stress, we're able to respond differently than what comes naturally. Does that make sense? Well, that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, (laughs) without a doubt. You know, you know what's funny? It's just an observation. But one thing that I've noticed is with mental skills, people think that just because they understand, like, like, for example, what I just said, oh, that makes sense. Just because they understand it. And even if I went into great detail and explained all the mental skills and explained how to train them and explained why they were important, and people have a, an understanding of it, that now they should just be able to do it because it's in the mind, it makes sense, sounds easy enough, I should just be able to do it. And I, I just I want people to understand that it shouldn't it, that it's not that easy and to not beat yourself up when it doesn't come easy because it, it could come you know an example that I use is okay so I team rope I've thrown tens of thousands of loops and I could take someone who's not really team rope before and I could let them watch me. And I could explain every detail of the position and the swing and the delivery and everything to where it makes complete sense. And they understand it completely and understand why I'm doing it. But I would never expect them, nor would they even expect to then I hand the rope over to them and say, now you do it just like me. We all know that it takes practice to, to, to get a physical skill to where it becomes you know, second nature we're able to do it. But we have different expectations with mental skills, and I and I don't know why, but that's one thing that we have to really understand. Um, or people are really hard on themselves otherwise. Well, and the mental aspect of competition is hard. If anybody that is listening to this has either been a competitive barrel racer, um, they've done uh, even just simple jackpots, roper, breakaway roper, what whatever. But creating awareness of my thought process has been a complete game changer for me. You know, being able to say, oh, wait, how I feel right now completely sucks. And I don't want to feel that way. So, you know, that awareness is key. And, you know, and those feelings are completely up to me to change. Well, no, you're absolutely right. It it starts with awareness because basically what we're looking to do, like I mentioned, is we're trying trying to respond to, to... the perception of stress, we're trying to respond differently than what comes naturally. What comes naturally is to get nervous or afraid or uh, something like that. That's what comes naturally, but, and, and that's what, but that's what we're trying to move away from. So first off, before we can do anything, we have to have awareness when there is a choice to respond differently. That, that's where it all starts. So um, that's able to be trained. Most people don't really think about what they're thinking about. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. We just hum along and go through the day and and things happen and we just respond with what comes easy in the moment or what comes as a habit, the way that we've always responded when something like that happens. We don't really give it any conscious thought as to is this how I want to respond or is this just the way that it's going to be. So we have to train awareness so that in the moment where we have the opportunity to, to respond, we can choose the appropriate response that we want to choose that will help us then 
act in a way that's consistent with the vision that we have or what we want to accomplish. But none of that can happen unless we have awareness in the moment I get to choose how I want to respond. Man, that's deep. (laughs) I mean, it's deep, but it's so easy to relate to for so many. Um, So over the weekend, I was at a big barrel race over Barrel Bash in Gifford, Illinois, and I just got done running my horse. Um, I walked over to the back corner, let him, you know, I loosened his cinch, let him catch his breath for a few minutes. And a friend of mine came over and started chatting with me. And she's like, wow, you don't even seem nervous. That was a good run. How'd you do it? And I'm like, well, a lot of mental practice. So she was telling me how she wanted to get her horse out before she ran. She goes, I don't run for another couple hours. I'm very nervous. I have sweaty palms. Um, I think I'm going to get her out and work her on the pattern outside. I said, wait a minute. Like, do you, and knowing her and how she does with her horse, I said, do you really need to work your horse or do you need to work yourself? You know, a lot of times our horses are seasoned, they're patterned, they know their jobs. And by repetition of keeping, working them on the pattern, it, it mentally gets to them, it's straining on them. So I told her, I said, why don't you go back to your trailer and just do it on a piece of paper? You know, think about it, think about it mentally, think about the smell of the dirt, think about where your hands are, how your body feels, are your toes up, you know, get every sensation you can. Um, I was just trying to create that awareness in her, which is, I know what you have done a great job of, of helping me find. Um, and that was mile marker one for me. I feel like this whole process, I kind of do it all by mile markers. So mile marker one was creating that awareness. And when I got ready to saddle, my hands would start to get sweaty and I, my mind starts racing. My heart starts, my heart rate starts increasing. So by creating that awareness in myself of, oh, that's exactly when I start getting nervous. It's not when I'm ready to go in the, in down the alleyway. It's way, you know, I backtracked. It was way before that. So that has been a huge thing, not only for me, but I know from some of the people that I've chatted with and tried to help them is just creating that awareness in them. When our aim is to help people, there's just to help people start thinking about what they're thinking about, to start creating that awareness. You just ask the questions like, how are you feeling? And how, how do you want to feel? Um, because most of the times we're not checking in. We're not even aware. Again, coming back to awareness. We're not even aware how we're feeling. And we're certainly not aware of how we would like to feel. And so just by asking questions, whether it's to yourself or anybody else that you're, that you're wanting to help, to provide the opportunity for somebody to stop, to think, to reflect, that's a wonderful start to this. So good job. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. You know, we've all got crap to complain about. We're in the middle of this stupid pandemic still. Um, We all have negative things that have impacted our lives or impacting our attitudes. So choosing to be aware and choosing to have a better attitude is is the hardest step of all because it's the first one. I mean, the first step is always the hardest. So um, staying positive, it's not easy, but sometimes we just have to choose to have a better outlook on life. It is. It is. And some people have been burned out by this unrealistic optimism or positive thinking. You know, there's somebody who the world can be falling down or it is really bad and they almost act oblivious like you know it's even happening that that's a little bit tough even you know for me to be around I understand why they're doing it but just choosing it's it's not ignoring the negative it's just choosing to focus on on a more positive thing or a more empowering thought the thoughts are there that's what's interesting 
the thoughts or the opportunities are all around us on to, to choose something more optimistic or pessimistic to look at. What you focus on, you feel. And if you continually focus on the pessimistic things and overlook the, the things that you could be optimistic about, you, you're in a more negative state of mind. You make different decisions and feel differently and, and everything else when you're in a pessimistic state of mind than, a more, than an optimistic state of mind. So when we're talking about like positive thinking, so to speak, it's just being optimistic. It's choosing, it's making the choice to look at the brighter side because it's there, not by ignoring the negative, not pretending the negative isn't there. It's just understanding that I feel what I focus on. I would rather look at the things that make me feel better because of the mood it puts me in. When I'm in a better mood, I make different decisions. I get different actions, and then I get different results if I choose to be optimistic versus pessimistic. And so it's very cool. Go along with what you're saying, but it's work. This all requires a tremendous amount of energy. And it, I tell you what, it takes a lot of energy. I mean, consistent amounts of small energy and work is, it, it's it's really something that I aim to work on the rest of my life. Because just by doing it for a month or six months or even a year, you're only going to have so much progress. But it's really interesting to see how much change that has happened in my life. Um, I mean, just from the first of the year, even my husband noticed how much more fun traveling and competing is with my new outlook and attitude, I guess you could say. I mean, because competing before, I was miserable. I was always nervous. I'd get anxious. I'd be in the bathroom. <laughs> it was it was not fun. So I stopped and realized, you know, what, why am I doing this if I'm not having fun? Um, and I, I'm sure you can, comp- I mean, you since Stevie is your wife, Stevie, <laughs> she, it's, it's not easy uh, being the significant other of a competitive barrel racer. Um, now, of course, I'm not competitive on Stevie's level. I'm on my own level. But it's, he'd be trying to coach me, not so much coach me, but just help me out. You know, afterwards, even if it was a terrible run, he'd give me a high five and say, hey, you did a really good job. I'd say, well, I forgot to check him at the second or, you know, I didn't let him go to the first. You know, we all have these excuses. But um, but I got to say, my husband has been a very good coach. Sometimes being a husband, it's not always easy. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners are female. They have boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. And when your significant other tries to tell you what you did wrong in that run, it doesn't always end well. So then being the husband of a competitive professional barrel racer, that has got, I I, I would love it, but you would think it's got to be hard um, because you'd want to coach her all the time and is... And as a wife, we're not always open <laughs> open to being coached all the time either. So how has your coaching helped your wife? Pretty much the same as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, there's a funny saying that says, uh, when you're a hammer, everything in the world is a nail, which <laughs> I take that as when you're a coach, everything in the world needs to be coached. And yeah. uh, that's how I started out, and that's definitely um, not – the way that I try to try to be more. So, man, I've got to, I have to be really mindful about the things that I say, not as much anymore, but it, it created more issues to begin with than it was helpful. My intentions were good. I think Stevie knew my intentions were good, but like you said, it just, there's, you know, whether it's husband, wife, or, or parents to kids, some things just don't, set well when they come from your spouse or your parents or whatever. So um, I kind of had to learn to shut it off. And what she needs me to be is 
is her husband, and a husband is going to be more supportive than coach than than accountability and teaching and everything else. So um, there's no doubt, and she she talks about a lot things that that we've talked about have definitely helped her, and, and I'm glad for that. But the last several years, I've really um, try to just keep a lid on it <laughs> for the most part and be more of a husband. And, and if she asks, man, I'm, I'm ready to talk, but oh, yeah. um, only, only I do my best not to give unsolicited advice. Um, I wish I could say I was more consistent at it, but I, I definitely do make an effort to be there. Yeah. Now, I know that the two of you travel quite a bit. I bet that you're on the road more than you are at home. Um, that's super difficult on your mind, your body, your relationship. Gosh, so how do the two of you stay positive and keep going? Well, yeah, what you said is exactly right. And, uh, you know, fear and fatigue, um, seems like there's a quote. I can't remember. Oh, you know what? I think Teddy Roosevelt maybe said fatigue makes cowards of us all. Um, and I, and I couldn't agree more, you know, when we're just tired or worn out or something, um, we don't do the things that we know we need to do. We don't make great decisions and fear I've noticed is the same way. And so we really have to, for fear, we have to really stay anchored to our faith and make sure that we're, um, pursuing that relationship with God, uh, to make sure that we feel like we're on the path that we need to be, that he's providing and everything else. Because if we don't, and we feel like it's all on us and it's all up to us, um, it can get pretty overwhelming. So for the fear part, that's what we do. For the fatigue part, we really try to be mindful of what we eat. Now, by no means are we nutritional experts, nor does that mean that all we eat is kale. (laughs) Because we're kind of foodies we love one of the fun things we do is getting to travel and go to different places and experience food and and uh you know that's one of the things that we love but we're mindful about about eating things that give us energy um and exercising which we know makes us feel better um and so we really try to focus on recovery um, as a category to make sure that we are giving ourselves the best chance. Oh, sleep. That's an important thing. We're not always able to get it very good, but we, we do our best and and we pay attention to it. And we just try to recover the best way we can so that we consistently make good decisions. Like, like you said a little bit ago, it's about consistency. It's not about what you can do great every now and then it's, what you can do pretty good most of the time. So that's, we're just, we stay very mindful of our connection with God to combat fear. And we stay very mindful of, um, of uh, being able to eat well and sleep well and exercise and move so that we keep our energy levels up as high as they can go so that we can handle the stress when it comes. Gosh, I couldn't even imagine being on the road that much. Um, you know, traveling always gives me a little bit of anxiety. I'm getting better, getting better as I get older, but it's, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, and another thing is giving your horse time off. I always give my horse time off. Once we get home, I let him just be a horse, be out to pasture. Um, but we don't always give time to ourselves. You know, I've learned that the day after I'm gone for a week or so, um, I always love myself, have a couple days off work, 
Um, even if it's just one whole day where I can unload the trailer, um, I can make sure that I get food cooked for the week. Um, all that, all of that is a way to help ourselves rest and recover because we're doing the same for our horses, but not a lot of people do the same for themselves. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, our society, you know, and, and I've got some of the things that, that you find interesting to listen to and read and the things that I do as well, like more motivational type stuff. I mean, it's about grinding and doing, making a habit out of doing what no one else is doing. And, you know, I, I get that. I totally understand that and I get it. However, I have to say that that attitude consistently day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, it, it comes with cost. And it may be the cost of burnout. Like you just don't even like doing what you're doing anymore. It could come at the cost of relationships, come at the cost of, of disease because you don't take care of yourself. I mean, there's a, there's a cost to that never ending, never satisfied straining and striving. Okay, well, let's roll into one-on-one coaching. So when someone gets a one-on-one session with you, what what can they expect during that time? Kind of like I talked a little bit about earlier is what I, what I want to help people with. I work in a couple of different areas. Um, one is psychological um, framework, which means basically it's, it's our thoughts, it's our attitudes, it's our expectations, it's our like kind of like our goals, it is, it is, it is the way in which um, we see the world and the way that we think and everything else. And we're all unique. We're all different, and that's wonderful. But there's there's some commonalities between people who um, are quote high achievers that they can have completely different personalities, but they have certain beliefs. For, for example. Most everybody's afraid to fail or look stupid um, and be vulnerable. However, regardless of a person's um, personality or where they grew up or anything else, taking risks and putting yourself out there and and make um, getting in the arena and then making adjustments based on mistakes or results or just getting feedback and then making adjustments and doing it again and just continuing on with that process regardless of, of what other people may think or of, of how you're concerned, how you'll be judged. Like that's an example of something that needs to be embedded or woven into somebody's psychological framework if they want to expand their capacity where they're at now. So we work on psychological framework. And then the other thing that we work on is, is training the mental skills. And that's actually like, you know, focus and calm and getting yourself into the ideal performance state and managing your stay and, you know, training optimism and training confidence, and we actually get into the skills and, and how you train them. And we start, like you said, with awareness. Awareness is kind of like the foundation of, of this because if you're not even aware that you can make a choice to respond a certain way, then you're, you're not really going to make it very far because you're just reacting all the time instead of choosing a thoughtful response. So, those are the two areas that we work on. When I first start working with somebody, I, I kind of find out more about them. Some people have worked with sports psychologists. I'm not a sports psychologist. I don't have that education. I have done a tremendous amount of research and been part of programs, but I, I'm not a psychologist. Um, 
but some people have worked with sports psychologists before or coaches. Some people have read every book under the sun. Some people have never read one performance psychology book or anything that we talk about is all brand new to them. So I just have to learn the individual, learn what, what they're after, what they think hold them back, and then we just start from there. Okay, so really quickly, I'd like to backtrack just a little bit, um, and I want to talk about vulnerability. And I think it's kind of a gray term, not a lot of people. I guess, for me, it, it means something different every day. But I wanted to share a quick story. Um, so our season ends usually around November. So last year, November, ended on a bad note. So getting into the spring season was a, was a little bit tough for me mentally. Um, and of course, with this lovely COVID situation, we couldn't barrel race until, gosh, I think it was mid-May. Um, and I was going to pack up the, my rig with my horses, and we were going to head west over to the St. Louis area and hit a barrel race over there. So at this certain arena, my mare always ducks off on the third barrel. So my main concern was getting getting her through that because it was, it was, it's not a cheap place to go. And barrel racing is one of the most expensive hobbies, I think, besides racing NASCAR. So anyways, um, before I left, I called you to have a little mini session. And during that mini session, you told me, hold yourself accountable for the things that you can change. There's so much that we cannot change. We cannot change the ground in the warm up pit or ground in any arena. We cannot change the weather. We can't change people that cut us off in the warm up pen. And sometimes we get all three at the same race, which is barrel racer life. So, so I went in there, excuse me, and bought a expo for my mare. So the gal that was selling expos at the gate, I went to hand her my money and she looked at me, she goes, Oh, Hey, Oh, are you, are you going to expo your mare? And it was the way she said it. I mean, to tell you what, if looks could kill, <laughs> oh man. But it was the way that she said it to me that really, it, it was funny because it started to get to me instantly. I thought, oh, that nerve she has. And then another, other like the tie, it was like I had a little devil on one side and a little angel on the other side of my shoulder. And the devil was going, oh, screw you lady. And the little angel was like, just brush it off. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So I was actually able to just brush it off. I went in there. Um, you told me since she ducks off of that third barrel and she's a cut and bread mare. And I tell you, when she ducks, you better have your toes up and your butt in that saddle because I have been thrown off more times than I can count. My fault because I don't have that good of a seat. And so I was worried about getting in there and her ducking off that third barrel. So knowing my mare very well, I knew that she's the kind of horse that I have to get her in the arena and get her comfortable. Some people can just get on their horses and just boom, go in there and their horses, the more that they let their horses gawk at things, the more nervous they get. So I got in there and you told me just get feedback, whether it's good or bad, either way, you're going to have a better, um, a better idea of what's going to happen. And then you can learn from that and move on. So that's awesome feedback. So all in all, I was super happy that I stuck with it. Um, not caring what others think is something that I have personally struggled with. And I think that the majority of people listening to this conversation can understand that we've all been in situations and we will continue to be in situations in our life to not care what others think. But I have to remember that I literally, you're, you're going forward. You have to stay in your lane. You can't worry about what others think or what others say. You have to be able to stay in your lane. And that feedback that I got from that expo ended up, we had three great runs that weekend we actually brought home some money, which doesn't always happen. It's always great because barrel racing is the most expensive hobby, <laughs> except racing NASCAR. So um, long story short, I got feedback 
it was great. I learned from it. And now I know when I go to a new arena, I had to do that with that mare. I don't let what others say get to me because I know what is best for me and my horse. Well, good, good. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, that you're 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 100% on point. You know, and, and the gal at the gate probably had good intentions. Like, I mean, we we don't ever assume. You know, maybe some people don't have good intentions, but I think most of of the people do. But we're the ones feeling it. We're the ones doing the work. We're the ones making the choices. It reflects on us. And so we just have to um, make the decision and then, yeah, again, just not be afraid of, of looking bad or, well, it's not even looking bad. Just, it's not that we don't care what anybody thinks. It's just not being concerned about what everybody thinks. (laughs) Like we have a few people that we can give permission to, to say, I care what you think, and I'm giving you permission to tell me, but as far as everybody else, but here's the thing. Here's, here's one thing that's really interesting. When, um, when you don't, when you make mistakes, people are going to criticize and judge. When you don't make mistakes and you're competing on the world stage, you're still going to get criticized and judged. It just happens. Well, if I had that horse or if I had their money or if I had those opportunities or whatever, then I'd be doing good too you know so you're kind of danged if you do and danged if you don't and when you get put in enough of those situations you just start to not really care but the only way to really do that is to put yourself in the situations you got to get in the arena that is there's no substitute for that amen and i tell you what like you said that there really is no substitute and just being courageous and giving yourself the credit for getting in the arena i know that we've talked about um the man in the arena quote which we'll get into in a minute but um you have to give yourself credit when you can so i had went seven months not competing and it wasn't even because i was injured it was simply because we give our horses the winter off we came back in the spring and then COVID hit I had not competed in over seven months, and I remember whenever we had a session, you told me, you said, you know, you have to be courageous. You have to be able to load up your horses. I drove all the way over to St. Louis by myself in crappy, literally six or seven lane traffic going one direction. I mean, (laughs) that doesn't make anybody's butt pucker. I don't know what will. But I really gave myself credit for just getting there. And, you know, that might not mean much to other people, but, man, that really did to me. For the people that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, there's um, a quote by Teddy Roosevelt called The Man in the Arena, and it's from a, a speech. And basically, it's just saying the credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena making the effort, not the people standing outside of the arena criticizing where the person in the arena is falling short. So I encourage anybody to look it up. It's very cool. It's one of my favorites of all time. All right, so then we're going to jump right into one of my favorite portions of the podcast, and it is the listener questions. A few days ago, I put out on social media, hey, what do you guys want to know? What do you want to learn from a mental coach? What are some things that you're personally struggling with? And man, I have to say a huge shout out to my listeners. I had a great, great overwhelming response. So it was very hard to select just a few questions so I don't take up another hour of your time. So Okay, we're going to get right into it. So listener question, uh, question number one, what are some things that you would suggest to do away from the arena to prepare yourself mentally for competition? Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, some of the great things about um, what we're talking about is, is you don't have to be on your horse and you certainly don't have to be in the arena to, to practice the skills. So one of the first um, 
things that um, a person can do. Let's let's go back to awareness. Um, since we said it's it's one of the first things that a person has to really get a hold of and start and and start really being able to. Um, oh, I don't even know what to say there. So, awareness is like the the first step. If you can't have awareness, then you can't really go any further. And so we can start training awareness by, first of all, everybody has their iPhone with them or their phone with them these days. And you can go into your calendar and you can set two alarms a day. That's what I recommend. Set two a day and have them repeat every day. When the alarm goes off, you ask yourself two questions. First of all, you ask, how am I feeling right now? Like put a label on the emotion that you're feeling. Because most of us don't check in with ourselves. We're, we're just going through the day. We're in a good mood. We're in a bad mood. We're tired. We're happy. We're angry. We're sad. We're frustrated. We're afraid. We're whatever. So when the alarm goes off, it's a prompt for you to check in and say, how am I feeling right now? And if you check in and if you're feeling, uh, if you label it as an emotion that you would like, then cool. There you are. And you just recognize that if it's not something that you like, or you want to feel differently, then, then the second question is, well, how do I want to feel? I'm frustrated right now. I'm edgy. I'm uptight. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. Okay, well, now that I realize that, how would I like to feel? I'd like to be happy. I'd like to be joyful. I'd like to be calm. I'd like to be confident, whatever it is. So that's, you know, then we, we go on with with clients to, to train how to actually do that. But But that first setting the alarms creates awareness. And the goal of that exercise is to get to the point where you don't rely on the alarm to go off to check in anymore. You build your own, like, internal barometer that says that, that, you know, the blood pressure starts to go up, you start to get a little hot, you get a little edgy, you get afraid or uptight, and you catch yourself, it's like, whoa, I'm feeling this way, and I don't really want to feel this way. But I'm catching it. I'm aware of it. Now I can choose to respond in a way that hopefully takes me towards the way that I want to feel. So that's a that's a good exercise for people to do. You don't have to be on your horse. You don't even have to be inside of a horse to do something like that um, to start training awareness. Another thing that people can do is breathing exercises. And, and with that, uh, that helps to train the ability to focus. When you say self, Focus on this. You know, that's something we can all relate to before we ride in the arena. I want to look at my spot. I want to keep my hands low. Um, I want to, you know, kick all the way till my horse's butt is past the barrel. Whatever it is, we have this command, and that's what we want to ride in the arena and do. And then we realize that we don't even, we go blank and can't even remember what happened the last 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So in order to train ourselves to be able to focus and to stay focused on what we want to focus on, we have to train it, and we have to train it where there's not pressure, when it's easy to do, so maybe in a quiet place or something is how it can start off, and just do a breathing exercise and just say to yourself, I'm going to inhale to the count of four and exhale to the count of four. For example, you can change, you can make the numbers whatever you want, but the whole point is I stay focused on the count, and when I catch myself thinking about how hungry I am or how stupid this might be or worrying about what might be happening outside, we catch ourselves, when we catch ourselves being distracted, we gently bring our attention back to the count and we just do it again. And we just keep doing that and we start training ourselves when we say self, focus on this, 
We stay focused on it, and we quickly catch ourselves when we become distracted and gently bring it back. So those are two things that people can do to start training the the mental skill of awareness and the mental skill of focus. And I'm happy to report from experience, I have used that breathing technique quite a bit. Um, most people nowadays, we all have Fitbits or Apple Watches, some, some sort of, even just a timer on your phone whenever you're riding. So for me, when I've used it is right before I am ready to compete, my horse is warmed up, ready to go. I get off, tighten my saddle, get my rubber bands. You know, I'm literally ready to go in the arena. And I will, I actually have a relax method on my Fitbit that helps you breathe in and out. And I'll count on to four, down for four, in for four, out for four. And that has really, really helped me calm my nerves. A lot of people, whenever I asked on social media, hey, I need some questions. What do you, what do you guys want to hear? And asked for me to ask Ty. And I'd say the majority of them were about nerves, getting nervous, getting anxious right before a run. So for those of you that are asking, try it out. But you have to give it like 100% effort because it really does work. Yeah, good for you. I'm yeah. glad you've been doing that. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So yeah. Not only is it a great training exercise to train focus, it's a great thing to do when you're in that time frame of my horse is ready. Like I'm now I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting to perform. I'm warmed up. Now I just, I'm waiting for the next eight people to go so that I can go. What do I do to keep my mind from racing or wondering or worrying? And, you know, we can only really think about one thing at a one thought at a time. It may feel like we can think about a lot of stuff, but it's just our mind switching back and forth. So if we can direct our focus and then we have a disciplined mindset because we've trained it to focus on, you know, we box breathing, inhale to four, hold your breath for four seconds, exhale, or to account of four, exhale to account of four, and hold that to account of four, and then repeat the process. It just it gives your mind something to think about so that you don't think about anything that could go wrong. And two, the physiological effect it has on your body is kind of a somewhat of a calming effect on your body to keep you from getting too wound up and too anxious. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you have done that. It's a wonderful exercise, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you've had good success with it as well. Yep, yep, it really does work. It's awesome. Okay, uh, let's go into question number two. My friend Kathy asked, during my competitive barrel racing runs, I completely black out and I can't remember a thing, which we all can relate to. Um, so what can I do to better my brain and help remember my run? There, well, there's a lot there, and I totally understand that. Um, first of all, the ability to calm yourself down before the run, which, again, that, that's a whole different mental skill. Um, but based on some of the things we've already talked about, being able to train yourself to stay focused, like just through the box breathing, for example, and there's other things that, that we can do to train focus. But what's happening is you get distracted. You tell yourself you're getting ready to go perform, and now the brain goes into, you know, you're, you're perceiving a threat, essentially a threat of ego or something else. It's not normally a real physical threat. There's you're really not generally afraid of falling off or getting hurt. It's more about not messing up or not looking stupid. So, but it's still the same response. So the brain is perceiving there's a threat and we just go into that predictable response of running away or fighting or, or whatever. So training yourself to be, first of all, to, to have awareness, like we talked about. Second, to be able to focus on what you want to focus on. 
because now, like, you know, I would assume when she rides in the arena, most people have something specific that they want to do in their run. Can you remember when we were talking, what was what's something that you want to do in your run that you have control to do? A lot. <laughs> I remember when you asked me that question, I had about 17 things that were like, just flying around in my brain. But we narrowed it down. Um, so I have a little bit of PTSD at the first barrel. Um, I have been yard darted <laughs> a, a few too many times. My, you know, your horse goes hauling ass in there. And if you're not sitting right, we all know what happens. So um, my the things you had me work on was hunkering down, um, going around the, the barrels, really hunkering down and rolling my hips to stay with my horse, um, keeping my hand forward. Also checking my horse at the second, right before I sit and checking him right at the third, right before I sit and to smile. Because for me, you know, we, I tend to look down so much. So I keep my head up. I smile. I think how blessed and how fortunate I am. I also had somebody tell me a long time ago, when you get nervous, just think about how blessed you are and smile. And I tell you what, it really does make a difference. But anyway, so back to it. I had to hunker down, roll my hips, check at the second and the third. Um, those are the main things that I have to do. And I think I've had pretty luck, pretty good luck with it so far. Yeah, cool. So, so yeah. So, so for example, then you want to you want to hunker down and you want to check your horse. Like those are two things that you have control to do. Now, it may not be as easy to do them in the run, but you know you have control on whether or not you do that. You have to train yourself to do it, but yeah. it's within your power. It's within your capacity to do that in the run. So that has to stay the main focus. I got to be able to calm myself down before I run and I've got to be able to focus on what I tell myself to focus on. And when my brain, when I go to take off and my brain wants to black out, I've, if I've done the work to train focus, then I should be able to focus on riding to that first barrel, having the awareness of hunkering down my body and doing that. Now that doesn't mean we're going to do it perfect all the time because it takes repetition. Once again, it takes repetition to get the timing and everything else. But for, you know, for, to answer this question, you've got to have a clear vision of what it is that you want to be able to do during that run. Just one or two things that are within your control to do. And then technically if you train yourself to calm down so that your mind is not racing, and then you've trained yourself to, Stay focused on what you want to focus on, even when you're tempted to become distracted, whether it's tempted to become distracted of your own thoughts or of a noise outside or of your horse running down the arena, whatever it is, it's a distraction. And being able to train yourself to stay focused on what you choose to focus on, that's how you start to get to that point where you're able to do it real time. Here's the other thing. When the run is over, it's not pass-fail. I did great. I did terrible. It's like this run is feedback. Even if I complete, even if my intentions are to stay focused on this or that, and when the run's over, I completely blacked out, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I should quit. It doesn't mean I let my horse down. It just means that I need to keep practicing focus and calming myself down because I'm not there yet. And that helps take away some of the pressure of like this big epic failure. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, I know you would. You told me pretend like it is a glorified expo. Because yeah. we've all done expos a hundred times. Yeah. And when you take the pressure off of yourself, again, when you take the pressure off of yourself, 
by saying that for me helped tremendously. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So that that was that's a there's a lot to unpack in that question, but that was the quickest way I feel yes. that we could get some type of resolution there. Absolutely. And that's really when someone would want to contact you and say, Hey, I'm really riding the struggle bus here. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, so Oh, before I forget, you and your beautiful wife, Stevie, have a new book coming out this fall. Is that right? Yes. Yes, we do. Yay, I'm so excited. So tell me a little bit more about how did this all come about? So it's really what it started off as. It's just a compilation of a lot of three, 400-word devotionals, for lack of a better term. Um, things that, that, that I've written that ideally I started writing to be able to make a book to send to my clients for them to read in between our sessions to kind of keep them focused on the things that I'd like for them to focus on and the things that we're training. And, and it, it included just thoughts, ideas, but also it included stories um, from us rodeoing or just life examples um, that are somewhat entertaining, but also prove the same point that I'm trying to make in that today's topic. And so I, we've just we have almost a hundred of them that we've comprised in a book, and it's both from Stevie and I's experiences, and it's called Mind Fuel, like mindful but Mind Fuel, and uh, it's just a collection of our experiences and thoughts about a lot of the things that that we discussed about perspectives and about mental skills, really, and how and, and just different stories about um, that Stevie and I have been through that we've either had to practice them or we failed miserably, you know, or, or something. But that is what our book is. And I'm hoping that it's going to be out around the first part of December. Well, I can tell you right now, that's going to be on my Christmas list. So actually I'll probably end up buying it for myself before then, because I don't want to wait until then to read it. So anyways, thank you so much for being on the show today. You have made things very clear, very easy to understand. They're very simple things that, we as human beings can work on every single day, not just barrel racing, but in life, um, dealing with family, dealing with work and anything, anything. So I have learned so much in just the short amount of time that I've been able to work with you that I couldn't wait to share it with my friends and family and my listeners. So thank you so much, Ty. You're just the best. So tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, thank you. So my website is prepare to win.tv.com is already taken. And at the time, we came up with this. I had more of an idea of doing a lot more videos, and I, I, I didn't end up following through with that. So now .tv doesn't really seem to make sense. But that's still the website, um, and I unfortunately have not done a very good job updating it. I'm going to be doing a lot of work this fall to, to do that. PrepareToWin.tv is, is also, if you search on Facebook for that, that's how you can find our Facebook page. That's a little more up to speed. Um, that's how we communicate a lot to people. And so that's the best ways to connect with me. Awesome. So if someone wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one session with you, how do they contact you? They could just message me on Facebook, and I'll get that and respond to them, and then we'll just figure out a time that works for everybody. Everybody's busy, and, and everybody generally needs some flexibility, and so uh, we just figure out a time that works, and we just get started from that, and then we just see where it goes. I don't commit anybody to X amount of dollars or X amount of sessions. Um, I, I want people who are willing to do the work and find the value in the work. And, and so we just, we figure out times that work for everybody and then we just go from there.
would have thought that professional barrel racer Stevie Hillman's husband would be such a hidden gem? I mean, you guys, how awesome is he? You have to check out his website. It's super easy to navigate. Get on there. Tell him I said hello. Tell him you said hello. Better yet, let him know that you listen to the podcast and you want to start getting coaching sessions with him. You will not regret it. Every time I have a session with him, he makes me feel like I could win the NFR. Maybe that's why Stevie's been so successful. Just kidding. We all know that she comes by it naturally. She's just freaking amazing. So thanks again for tuning in. This has been the fifth episode of the Barrel Horse Life podcast, written, edited, and produced by me, Amy Davenport, here in my closet. Just kidding. For those of you that actually listen to the end of these podcasts, I'm happy to report that because of you and all of your reviews and ratings on social media, that I am no longer recording in my closet. I've upgraded and I'm into my office. So be sure to continue to share on social media with all your friends and family. Let them know what you're listening to and that we're out there because the more ratings and reviews that I get, the better people I can bring you on the podcast. So thanks for tuning in and I hope to see you down the road. Yoo-hoo, horsies, it's time for snack.